Oh, what's new? What's new? I almost forget how to do this, man. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's been three weeks, right? Four? Uh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Welcome to episode 450 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Lovin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, what do we got on the docket for today? Oh boy, we're talking about how do you make interfaces feel hefty. And then the sidebar, we're going to talk about how to be hyper efficient in the modern workplace. So uh, lots of good stuff to get into, Marshall. Mm -hmm. And in the spirit of efficiency, let's begin. We have a golden ratio supporter this week. It is Catch. Catch asks... Freelancers out there, why did you become a freelancer? Was it for freedom, flexibility? It probably was not because you wanted to manage your own health insurance, taxes, and retirement. But Catch can do all of that for you. Catch offers benefits and personal payroll for the self-employed. You can shop for health insurance the same way you shop for a flight. Compare across carriers, find the best price. They make it easy to renew your current plan, find a better one, or enroll for the first time. Even better, all their plans are ACA-compliant. And Catch works on your behalf to get you tax credits that can save hundreds of dollars on your monthly premium. If you're a freelancer, it's a no-brainer. Open enrollment started on November 1st. And if you want to get covered for 2023, go to catch.co slash health or click the link in the show notes to renew your coverage or find a better plan. You'll have to do this before December 15th, so time is of the essence. Thank you, Catch, for supporting freelance designers out there. Yeah, thanks, Catch. Once again, that's catch.co slash health. All right. All right. We have some new very important pixels, Marshall. Hey. Big shout outs to our new VIPs, very important pixels supporting the show today. Emily Waldeloff, Olivier, Neil, Diana Tam, Karthik Rajendran, and Philip Pietzel. Hey, uh, welcome to the hot tub, everybody. It's nice and warm in here. Jump <laughs> come on in. in. It's bubbly and warm. Uh, if you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that every week, Listeners like you and the aforementioned VIPs come together uh, at Patreon. Patreon.com slash design details where for just a buck a month. Just a buck a month? 20 pesos a month. (laughs) For just a buck a month, you get access to bonus content like this week's sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. This week's sidebar, we're talking about how to be hyper efficient in the modern workplace. But if you support us, you also get access to the entire backlog of sidebars, which at this point I think is over a hundred episodes <laughs> of the show. Yeah. So a dollar for a hundred episodes. The math here is getting really, really good for the late, late upgraders here. <laughs> yeah, the late adopters. Uh, yeah, but otherwise, it's just a buck a month uh, going forward for everyone who wants to support the show and get that bonus content every single time we release an episode. Once again, that's at Patreon.com/slash. Design details. It's just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Okay. Tiny follow-up. Just wanted to uh, shout out that we are aware that we've had a slower release schedule this month. Explanation to come uh, from my side. Uh, I'll be announcing some things here in a minute. Uh, Probably not by the time this episode airs, but after that. But life has just been crazy. Yeah, you can explain yourself, Marshall. I think maybe some people have seen it. Yeah. uh, might know why you've been a little bit busy. Yeah, uh, we we launched a big update to YouTube, so I've been busy. Uh, what it takes a lot of work to to visually refresh all of YouTube, one of the largest apps on the planet that serves like ten billion people. Yeah, go figure. Yeah, literally, literally more than humans exist. Yeah. What, what have you been busy doing? Like I don't know, but starting a business or something, uh, or something. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I've just been reading books, meditating, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. tweeting mostly. That's yeah, kind of mostly tweeting. <laughs> mostly <laughs> tweeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been busy boys. Busy boys. We'll try and get back on schedule, um, but we're going into the holidays, and just things are a little bit crazy. But thank you all for your patience. And without further ado, let's talk about design. Marshall, I have a question for you that was posed to me that I tried to answer, and I would love your help. Okay, this comes from the CEO of a developer tool company that makes a really technical tool for companies of all sizes, but I think primarily makes their money through large enterprises. And this person texted me and said, how do you make an interface feel hefty as opposed to light? And he had a really, really interesting problem, which is they have designed such a beautiful, simple interface that hides away complexity that you would expect to be hidden away. And it makes it pretty easy to understand what's going on. There's not that many buttons. There's not that much navigation. And so what's happening is when they try to sell this software to large corporations or folks who are used to buying enterprise software, it looks too simple. It looks featherweight. It looks like maybe something that's good for side projects, but not good for serving the scale that an enterprise customer would expect. So the question was, how how could you take something simple and lightweight and beautiful but make it feel hefty instead of light? And I thought that was a really interesting question. Yeah. Uh, maybe I can tell you the first stab that I took at this. Um, well, actually, before you go into it, do you mind if I relate a little story? Yeah. So Rewind to like 2008 or so. And uh, my girlfriend at the time buys a Mac for college. And uh, I'd never used a Mac PC guy through and through. Dad worked at IBM, you know, PC guy. And I played around with it when she got it because it was like really smooth when we went to the Apple store, like scrolling through CoverFlow. It was like buttery. I was like, holy shit, this this is how it always is. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so Mm -hmm. we got the Mac, bring it home. I'm playing around with it. And I remember going to work one day and talking with my colleagues at work and they asked me uh, about using the Mac. And I was like, it's like a baby computer. It feels like (laughs) uh, it feels like a, a kid's toy, right? And it took probably six months to a year of using it to understand the power behind that kid's toy. But like, Mm. I think this is the problem that you're describing of coming from this like rough edges, PC, do it yourself kind of hack together kind of mentality. Going to a really curated experience felt like a child's toy, but it wasn't at all. So uh, I feel this problem. And I am not entirely sure how to solve it, but I'm curious to hear your your stab at it. Yeah, well, maybe there's like a second side to this coin, which is the same problem, but phrased slightly different, which is how do you make people feel like they're buying something of substance while still selling them something very simple, right? And I feel like, I don't know, maybe the iPhone is a good example of this. The exterior is more or less unchanged uh, <laughs> for you know the past 14 years Something yeah, like, like that, yeah. S- sans the camera bump and and uh-huh. slightly larger screen and you know better nicks and knacks here and there really the the power is the internals and so they spend all of their time talking about the internal speed performance screen power battery camera processing ai ml quantum computing <laughs> all this kind of stuff so that you feel like you're Getting something when you pay for the next year's model that is essentially the exact same hand feel. Yeah, exact same black rectangle. Same same black rectangle. Yeah. 
And then we have the same problem in software, right? Which is a lot of times when you're buying an upgraded thing, you're often paying for an invisible thing. Like maybe you're paying for more storage or more seats or, I don't know, better playback speed. Like things that aren't going to be part of the interface. And it can very quickly fall out of mind that you're paying for it. And so you might forget that you are actually getting all this value delivered to you because the interface doesn't really remind you. So anyways, I don't know, same problem, different phrasing, which is like, how do you make something feel substantive? And I don't know, I, I had a hard time answering. My, my initial answer was make it dense. Like there's something about dev tools and enterprise tools where they try and make it feel like you can do anything from one screen. And um, I don't know, good examples of this would actually just be like prosumer software. Like I put most Adobe products in that bucket. In the dev tool space, I'd put something like a retool uh, or VS Code in that bucket where when you have all your like command and control panels up, there's a million buttons, a million keyboard shortcuts, a million pieces of text and UI all over the place, which can make it feel like you're a superhero, right? Like you can do anything, you can get anything done with a few clicks if it's elegantly designed. And so that feels like something that's worth buying, right? I don't know. I feel like it's just tricking the monkey brain. Like more buttons equals more value. <laughs> uh huh. Mission control, right? Mission control. So that was kind of my answer. I was like, look, your interface is really simple, but one of the costs of that simplicity is it does require navigating to different places because you've like kind of architected in such a way like each page does a thing. Okay, well now I got to navigate to multiple pages to get multiple things done instead of maybe combining that all into a single interface. And of course, this is just going to be like a never-ending loop of tension and, and conflict because mm-hmm. as soon as you start to build that dashboard of buttons, you know, you're going to piss off some people. It will become overcomplicated. You'll ship too many features there and it'll become unusable. Then you'll mm-hmm. abstract away and simplify. And now it requires more clicks and navigation to get the same <laughs> task done. Our interfaces like, become less focused. We need to focus it. What if we split all these parts off into separate <laughs> pages? Yeah, okay. We're back. Rinse and repeat. Rinse yep. and repeat. Um I was also interested in this idea of like reminding people of what they've paid for. Trying to think of a good example of this. Um, I mean, this is a tough one, right? Like I've run into this before. I think it was on like Hulu. I was like, why am I paying a few extra dollars for this? They changed like the pricing structure or whatever. And I went with the non-free ads, like the the ad supported version to save a few bucks, whatever. And I lasted like a couple hours before I was like, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yep, yep. This is why I was paying for that. Got it, got it. But, you know, I I was lulled into this idea of like, I don't need it until I didn't have it. And then I came running back, right? So how do you yeah. avoid that, right? That that cycle of like doubt. Do you plaster branding everywhere? If like you're getting this because you're paying extra, that feels uh, intrusive, especially like, you know, the first time is probably great, but the hundredth time? Yeah, sometimes. I, I actually think it's a pretty interesting tactic where sometimes the reminder that you've paid for something at the moment where that value is being delivered is really, really great. Mm-hmm. I think Amazon Prime is a good example where... When you have Amazon Prime, you get like a billion things. And most people don't use any of that. But as soon as you're buying something on Amazon and you look at those shipping options, boy, oh boy, if you ain't clicking the Prime shipping speed, you know, every single time because it's always faster. And you're like, oh, this is why I paid for this. Oh, or another example would be, I mean, we'll see how this actually shakes out. But 
you know, paying for the verified badge on Twitter. It's going to be this in-your-face thing every time you see your profile, every time you see your tweets, every time you see someone else's tweets, like, oh, that's the payment, right? Like really putting it in your face, but at kind of an Mm -hmm. opportune time, like supposedly it's adding credibility or or confidence that that tweet is coming from an authentic human. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this reminds me of... um Instacart, I don't know if you've ever used Instacart, but it's basically delivered groceries. And at the end of the flow, there is a running counter of the hours that you have saved, not driving to the grocery store, walking through the aisles, picking everything out and driving it back home. So every time I spend money with Instacart, it's like, oh, cool, there's another hour I saved. Mm -hmm. And I've saved hundreds of hours by shopping through this app. You know, I think that's a really interesting tactic, but if you're going to do it, you better be pretty damn accurate. So as soon as you mentioned that, it reminded me, let me pull up this email here. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's 100% accurate, but it's close enough and I understand the... So that one that one actually feels reasonable. So you know the service Loom, they do help you do like screen mm-hmm. recordings. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got an email today that says, uh, from Loom, it says your October Loom review, it says you saved 113 meetings this month. Which is not true. It says you saved 19 hours because you recorded a video with more than two views. And it's just not true. Like what I did was I created a loom that I put into the campsite onboarding flow and a hundred and something people watched that. So it didn't actually reduce my meetings. And so maybe that's a weird use case for loom. But because they sent me this email, now I just don't trust that metric at all because it's just not anywhere pegged to reality or my use case even before that like even before i had this campsite onboarding video example where maybe maybe i'm using it more like a youtube uh, but even at work they would send me these these emails that said i was saving like dozens of meetings from a video that got like four or five views i'm like there's just no way so if you're going to remind people of the value they got from something paying for it better be pretty damn accurate otherwise people aren't going to trust that and might feel like they've overpaid or the software like truly doesn't understand how you're using it Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. What are yeah. other examples here? Um, well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, here's the inverse, right? Is um, something like the Hulu example, right? Um, I would never have forgotten that I was paying for the Hulu ads if every once in a while, you know, they popped up a three second screen that would be like, you could be watching an ad right now, but you're not because you're paying for it, right? Like, <laughs> Congrats. You don't yeah. have to watch an ad, but you have to watch this. But yeah. yeah, here's this thing that you have to watch, right? Which would do the job, but I think is deleterious, you know, as far as like CSAT goes. Yeah. So then you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I guess, mm-hmm. I mean, you just got to be tasteful and opportune with it. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's the paying side. Maybe we can return back to the original conversation about heft. Like, what do you think about heft if you're actually trying to intentionally create it, right? Like, let's let's leave aside you're trying to create an Instagram or something mm-hmm. that is designed to feel lightweight and visual and all this kind of stuff. Like, you're building a productivity tool or a tool for prosumers slash enterprise customers. When you picture a hefty interface in your mind, what do you see in your mind's eye? I don't know, like Photoshop or something, an Adobe product yeah. or... Uh... <laughs> an Adobe product, yeah. Or like, well, I'm thinking about initial launch, like the preset, like palette layouts for Photoshop or Illustrator or any of those Adobe products when you open them up, it's like, here's the world or like, here's at least a sliver of the world and it's pretty, pretty wide sliver. So I don't know, that's kind of what I think of, but, but that is, that's overwhelming. That's like an overwhelming example. Maybe a comforting, but hefty interface would be like, um, wait for it. Mm. I'm having trouble thinking of a good example. <laughs> I'm thinking like of ca- a calendar app, like a good calendar app. 
just yeah, because I there's a lot, about there's email. like a, there's just a yeah. lot of shapes and labels and buttons. Like it's really hard to get away from the fact that there's just going to be lots of UI. Takes up the whole screen, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think one problem with a lot of web apps is, and I, I do this as well. I totally get why you do this. Is you constrain the width, right? And because you want to create something readable, but a lot of like pro apps, they actually take up the full screen, especially if they run on the desktop. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a pretty easy way to identify a app versus a web app, right? Is like if a web app constrains its width, it just feels like a website. This was actually a really interesting thing. Um, I always felt with with GitHub and GitHub has several different layouts. Some of their screens are full width, some are not. But anytime I look at a repo, it feels like a website. Right. But when I go like browse through code or look at a PR, it feels like a web app. Mm -hmm. And it was that like switching between feeling like a website and a web app that was a little bit jarring. Like sometimes I felt like I was in pro mode and sometimes I wasn't. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. So I don't know. Maybe that's that's an answer here is like take that shit full width. But it's really hard to do that depending on your content, right? Yeah. Honestly, it feels like most like hefty apps aren't meant to be small. Like they're meant to be run at full screen all mm-hmm. the time. Think of like my calendar, right? Like at a certain point, if your calendar window is too small, you can't read the labels, you know? Yeah. So you gotta well, you gotta have a somewhat big screen. Okay. Maybe here's another aspect of it is just like the focus thing that I brought up earlier. Like some of the apps that I use the interface can be hidden or, or, or like a lot of the Chrome mm. around the interface can be hidden. I'm thinking of like command period and Figma, for example, like just want to go full screen, hide all the side panels, top stuff, everything, yeah. command period, it, it all goes away and it all feels very simple. Oh, this actually makes me think of maybe like Fig Jam is a good example of that where it's like approachable, but there's a lot of power under the hood. Yeah, but it is interesting how they make it feel approachable, right? And this is making me like leading me to maybe really specific things, which is the size of interactive elements, right? Mm -hmm. Like a hefty interface seems like all of the UI is like small. Mm -hmm. It's like tiny buttons, tiny text, tiny inputs. Figma is a good example of that, right? Like the Mm -hmm. the properties panel is dense as hell. Like not a pixel is wasted. Buttons are fairly small. Like nothing there would pass muster for Mm -hmm. tap targets, right? And even then, like, yeah, stuff is very hover based or, you know, cursor location based. So a lot of Mm -hmm. adornment like outlines Mm -hmm. and things don't even show up until you're hovering over it. Yeah, it's very dense and there's lots of of stuff there, but there's less stuff than there could be. You know what I mean? Uh, whereas Fig Jam makes all of those things big, puts them in a little toolbar on the bottom, makes them all really big and chunky. Maybe that's the approachable part is like, okay, there's a smaller number of tools here. They're all in one place. And yeah, there's maybe like drop down arrows that there's stuff hidden under here, but top level, this seems easy. And maybe that's part of it, like is um, affordances that imply depth without showing it. So your Say drop more. down, your uppy downy, right? Uh-huh. Like, there's stuff in here that if you click in, there are peers to this one that we've shown you, but this is the representative of this larger group. It's like, you know, uh, in, in a word processor, this is basically every tool there, uh, like the typeface, right? There's one thing showing that you click on that and holy God, there's a list, right? Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's part of it is like implying depth without immediately showing it. Yeah, it's tough. I think, well, going back to the original question, you know, the advice I gave to this person was ignore everybody. (laughs) It's basically like, don't overreact and over pivot to try and create something that feels hefty to appease this very bad, like lizard brain 
feeling that people get that more buttons equals more value. Like uh-huh. fight that as long as you can. You'll get there eventually. Like eventually, Inevitably, if software exists yeah. long enough, you're going to have way too many buttons and you're going to dream of the day when you could have things so simple and elegant and organized and feel lightweight. Mm-hmm. So hold on to it. it but it, it just does require more handholding. And especially during that sales process, when you talk to a customer who expects a certain look and feel, you're going to have to have a really killer demo or, or just really buttoned up pitch that explains to them all of the value and power that they get in that toy looking, lightweight looking, side project looking interface. Uh, can I end, maybe wrap up here with... Uh... A little anecdote. Please. Well, not even an anecdote. It's just something that uh, recently resurfaced and came to my attention um, again, which is this is all cultural and not a global thing, right? Not only just with different types of users, but for example, I I forget what I was looking at, but it it was um, a comparison of a Coca-Cola ad. I think it was an American ad, but like generally in the West versus a Coca-Cola ad, I think it was for South Korea. And American ad was a big, beautiful picture in the background with some like overlaid elements and a little bit of text, but like very, very simple, mostly just like imagery and a little little bit of language. Uh, the other one was chock full. It almost looked like an ad spread, right? Where it's just like all of these different pictures, like all these different products and everything. It just felt jam packed. The same thing is true of websites in some parts of APAC, right? Like I'm, I'm thinking specifically of like Korea, Japan, right where the information density. I was picturing, I was picturing a Chinese e-commerce. Yeah, exact same thing. Yeah, it's like information density implies competence, whereas in the West, cleanliness, right? The Google landing page, Google.com, looks empty and useless in that context, right? If you go to similar search pages, especially in APAC, it's like jam-packed with stuff. It looks like a news site or something. Mm. And so like depending on who you're designing for and where you're designing for, like what is expected is the opposite of what might be expected elsewhere. Did you just wrap up this whole thread by saying it depends? It depends, right? <laughs> <laughs> Boom, yeah. gotcha, suckers. Uh, Everyone yeah. listening out there thinking we'd have a meaningful conclusion to yeah. this segment. Psych. Yeah. We still got it, Brian. We still got it. <laughs> still got it. All right, Brian. All right. Hit me with some cool things. Cool thing this week for me is a cool place. Mm. I'm in Mexico City. I've been here for a week. I will uh, be spending a total of two weeks here. And boy, howdy, is it a neat place to visit. I'd been to Mexico before, but never to Mexico City. Didn't know what to expect and have been pleasantly surprised. So I recommend it. I will be back. Maybe I'm uh, contributing to the increased tourism demand being placed upon the city, which I understand has caused some tension with the locals. But, you know, I don't think uh, I'm going to be to blame here. I think the city is pretty damn popular already for tech workers and, and no matters and things like that. I will just uh, add my plus one that it's been a great time and uh, I will come back. Oh, uh, I, t- I tweeted, I'll, I'll put a link into the show notes. I tweeted uh, asking for recommendations of things to do in Mexico City and got many, many, many good replies with some good lists of restaurants and things to do. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes for any future Mexico City travelers. That's Ooh. my cool thing, Marshall. Cool place. Cool right. place. What's your what's your cool thing this week? Um, 
Actually, I have a couple, but I'll keep them short. Same thing. Two albums came out recently. I'll spend a little bit more time on the second. So the first one is Joji's new album I think you'll be interested in. It's uh, called Smithereens. Uh Just came out. You might have seen the video for Glimpse of Us or heard that song. I've heard Glimpse of Us on the radio. Very, very good. You should watch the video. It's like alarmingly contrasting, really melancholy (laughs) um, and sad weird well the uh, song is sad what are you talking about the song the, is sad as hell yeah the song is sad but in context just watch the video uh it's sad okay, okay it's okay. sadder with the video um <laughs> oh i don't know if i want to opt into this but okay <laughs> yeah yeah um okay so that's that's joji smithereens check it out cool okay second one have you heard of a band called polyphia never okay they recently came into my awareness um they've been around for a long long time but they are Probably what you would describe as like math rock or prog rock. If you're familiar uh, with either of these math, subgenres. Math rock is a genre that I have never heard, did not know existed. And now I'm alarmed to know that it is a thing in the world. Tell me more. <laughs> okay, well, math rock is like usually performed by outstanding musicians, right? It is it is oh, the nerdiest. Mathematicians. <laughs> uh, well, well, basically, right? It's like songs written in crazy time signatures, like 9-8 or 13-4 or something, right? Just weird shit, but not jazzy rock, you know? So anyways, this band, Polyphia, is kind of similar in that each of the musicians in the band is a typical four-person rock band, drummer, bassist, two guitars, no singer, It's purely instrumental. They are all virtuosos at their particular instruments. And it looks like they're not even fucking trying, Brian. It's like watching the Olympics, you know, where you're just like, that looks easy. I could do that, right? Just make it look so easy. The guitar playing is perfect but also really interesting to listen to. That's Mm. the problem with a lot of math rock bands. It's like, okay, this is technically really impressive, but like, I don't know if I want to listen to it. It's hard to vibe to it. Exactly, right? This is good music. There's like hip hop influence. The guys in the band are relatively young. Usually math rock bands are like older guys. Um, They're really enjoying it. All of their videos, especially the more recent ones, are super aesthetically interesting, like very clean. They're a very fashion forward band, like we're streetwear. Tim Henson, one of the guitar players, has the coolest fucking look. He's like a porcelain doll covered in tattoos like he's got this baby face and tattoos okay. all the way up and around his neck like framing his face but his face has no tattoos fully un- untouched but like all down his arms and hands and wears oversized clothing and has this like crazy curly hair it's like a t- he looks like someone tim burton designed um he looks like a, he looks like edward scissorhands basically a johnny okay. Depp character um okay but yeah, anyways, they're awesome. Check out their videos. I'll throw some links in the in the show notes. Polyphia. They have a new album that just came out too called Remember That You Will Die, which is a pretty good album name. I think that's that sounds good. uplifting as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, uh, new Joji, new Polyphia. That's my cool things. Awesome. Cool thing. Well, this has been episode 450 of the Design Details podcast. We hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, let us know what you thought on the Twitters. We're at Design Details FM on the tweets. And you can always DM us if you have questions that you want us, questions or topics that you want us to dig into in future episodes. Hope you enjoyed the topic about uh, interface heft today. If we missed anything, please be sure to let us know so we can include it in follow-up. If you want to get more our voices in your eardrums, go to patreon.com slash design details where for just a buck a month, just a buck a month, you can get access to the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. Bonus content. Today we're talking about how to be hyper productive in the modern office environment. So 
patreon.com slash design details. That's it for this episode. We will catch you next time. Bye. Anyways, this band, Polyphia, is kind of similar in that each of the musicians in the band, they're all, um, what's the right word? Uh, Nerds. Nerds. <laughs>